Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. Hoy me acompaña Reina Grande. Reina Grande is the author of the best-selling memoir, The Distance Between Us, where she writes about her life before and after she arrived in the United States from Mexico as an undocumented child immigrant. The much-anticipated sequel, A Dream Called Home, which was released in 2018, and her latest novel titled A Ballad of Love and Glory. Bienvenida a este episodio, Reina. Oh, gracias. Me, me da mucho gusto estar aquí acompañándote. Primeramente, felicidades por todos tus logros. Reina, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, especially for those that haven't read The Distance Between Us. I feel like I know you <laughs> already after reading this. Um, but tell, tell us a little bit about where you grew up. I know some of your childhood um, was in, in Mexico, but then um, you moved to the U.S., Yeah, so I was born in Iguala Guerrero, which is in the southern part of Mexico. And when I was two, my father came to the U.S. And then when I was four, my, my mother also immigrated. So I stayed behind with my siblings in Mexico for several years. And that was a very traumatic time in my childhood that I feel that to this day, you know, I still kind of grapple with. Right. Uh, when I was nine and a half, my father came back to Mexico and then he brought me and my siblings across the border with the help of a coyote. Mm -hmm. And that's how we ended up in California, living with my dad. And um, it was a struggle, you know, with family reunification. It's, it's mm -hmm. not always easy. And, and there's a lot of trauma involved right. that impacts the relationship between children and parents. Mm -hmm. But despite that, you know, I I um, managed to stay focused and I I became the first in my family to uh, graduate from university and mm -hmm. I studied creative writing and I somehow miraculously managed <laughs> to make a career as a writer. That's great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, So, so yeah, so you are the first uh, in your family to complete college and go on to uh, to do uh, graduate work, graduate work. Um, and also, I imagine the first writer. Did you um, talk to us about your identity as a writer? What memories do you have of seeing yourself as a creative person or storyteller? I've been thinking a lot about like how that even came about, because there are no writers in my family. You know, I mean, in Mexico, we were very poor and my maternal grandfather, he was illiterate because he never got a chance to go to school. And nobody in my family had managed to even like, you know, go beyond elementary school. Mm -hmm. My my mom went to sixth grade and my dad went to third grade. So I I sometimes wonder how the heck did I 
become a writer, you know, <laughs> with that kind of background. But there are little moments in my in my past that I can pinpoint to what nurtured my love of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And my one of my early experiences with storytelling was in Mexico when I lived with my maternal grandmother. She didn't have a television because, you know, she was very, very poor, my grandma. And she had a radio. And that was her connection to the outside world. So in the radio, there there used to be back then um, radio novelas. (laughs) Porfirio Cadenas, El Ojo de Vidrio, you know. And I remember like those are one of my my most favorite memories of my grandma is listening to the radio novelas with her on the radio. Um, I guess it was almost like listening to an audio book nowadays, right? (laughs) Right. And I fell in love with it. Like I fell in love with listening to stories on the radio. So that was my early introduction to stories. And then when I came to the United States, I no longer had that radio and had that experience with my grandma. But then I discovered the public library and the library had a lot of children's books on on tape, like books books on tape mm-hmm. and I would borrow those books and listen to the tape and and then that would remind me of the radio novelas and so I kept I kept developing that that love of storytelling mm-hmm. um and I became an avid reader because of that and then of course in college my English teacher told me that I had writing talent and nobody had ever told me that before so my English teacher was the one that kind of put that idea in my head that um, that I was a storyteller and that mm-hmm. I had the talent for it and that that's what I should do in my life is right. storyteller. I remember uh, uh, in the distance between us, uh, the experience you also had as a, as a child when you um, wrote a story I don't know if it was middle school. It was a contest or maybe it was mm-hmm. elementary. Yeah, middle school. Uh, but you wrote it in Spanish, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was yeah. In elementary. Yeah. Right. And and so what I think of when what made me think, right, is how many um, talented um, young writers there are out there um, that uh, we don't know about because perhaps unfortunately, right, they're not writing in English or they're using um, translanguaging. Um, yet they do have those skills um, and um, we just haven't, you know, depending on what school you're in, um, those um, skills are not being nurtured. Um, so I, I bet you were there <laughs> when you were in elementary school already, already showing that, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, thank you for mentioning the importance of a mentor, right? I, I think um, uh, for me, it, I didn't really get into liter- uh, reading Latin American literature until I was um, in college and um, on my own. And I discovered, you know, that I really enjoyed um, reading uh, Latin American literature. And, and then I went on, you know, to become a professor later on, but, um, sometimes is is, is the environment, right. That, that nurtures that, um, is a mentor perhaps that sees something in you and encourages you. So, um, 
And I say this just so that we, right, or whoever's listening, thinks about those opportunities or moments where we see talent and we could potentially encourage it, right? Um, especially uh, young kids and and um, young readers. So uh, you've been involved in various uh, programs and workshops, uh, both as a participant and faculty. Uh, what has been your experience in teaching and engaging with writers of minoritized backgrounds? Yeah, I mean, I I really enjoy uh, like writing conferences and spaces that are specifically geared towards writers of color. Mm-hmm. I feel that something happens in those spaces where we're not feeling like we don't feel the need to protect ourselves mm-hmm. in order mm-hmm. to be on un- to be guarded. Mm-hmm. And so it allows us to be a little bit more creative, more ourselves, more comfortable. So I like those spaces a lot. I have been in spaces that, yeah, where, you know, when we're the minority, we kind of get pushed to the side and we feel that divide between like white writers versus writers of color. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't particularly enjoy spending time in those kinds of spaces so as a participant I know exactly like where I like to be and then as a teacher you know obviously as a teacher I do have to be in spaces where there are not that many uh, people of color Mm-hmm. But but then that's when I have to work harder as a teacher to make sure that my students feel comfortable and that and that I create a classroom environment mm-hmm. that is very like supportive and nurturing. So right. it's been it's been interesting to be on both sides. I I love being a student, even like you know to this day and right. where I'm at in my writing career. I still see myself as a student. Like I still feel like I have a lot more to learn mm-hmm. and and I'm constantly trying to learn or even observe teachers. Like I love taking classes because then I get to observe teachers and see how they do it so that I can learn as a teacher, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So every everywhere I go, I always see it as an opportunity to learn something. And do you work with different age groups? Um, I prefer adults. Mm-hmm. I prefer um, more advanced uh, writers. I'm, I'm not very good with beginning writers. Uh, I really because I'm a I'm really hardcore as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I push very very hard, <laughs> and so I'm very very good at editing. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to prefer to work with students who are in um, more advanced level and who have a project that they've already been like working on that they're revising instead mm-hmm. of like creating uh, uh, like like on a first draft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, adults are my favorite people to work with. I used to teach middle school and I still have nightmares about it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely different challenges with the different ages. 
ages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Reina, recently um, I attended your talk uh, about your latest novel, A Ballad of Love and Glory. And it I was impressed of your commitment to deep dive into the historical research that took, you know, the time that took to do this research. Um, and also as I'm, um, I mentioned uh, earlier that I'm, um, listening to to the audiobook and and it's uh, and I think during your talk you mentioned this but I grew up in Matamoros Tamaulipas and so this book is located right it talks about Matamoros and the border and so that sort of it, it, um, brings a different kind of experience right of thinking about this place where I grew up uh, and having this this history right um, so talk to us about um why this was particularly important to you to get, I mean, this is that basically a historical uh, novel, right? Because, because mm -hmm. you, 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 um, um, right within the perspective of what was going on specifically at this time. Um, why was that, was this important to you? Well, writing this novel was important because I didn't really learn about this history when I was in school and I went through like, you know, middle school, high school, not knowing the history of the U.S. and Mexico and not really knowing that where I lived in California, that that used to be Mexico, you know? And so I bought into what society was telling me to think about myself as an immigrant, that I was an outsider and I, I didn't really have a right to live here. Um, and then when I was a junior at university, I took the a history of Mexico class. And that's where I learned about the U.S. invasion of Mexico in the 1840s, which led to Mexico losing half of its territory. And when I started writing the novel, I wanted to revisit that time period and try to bring it back into our consciousness as a way to empower Mexicans and Mexican-Americans. Because that ignorance, you know, since we're not being taught our history, then we don't know it. And then we buy into whatever mainstream society wants us to think about ourselves. And I was also kind of getting really pissed about the way uh, anti-immigrant people talk about Mexican immigrants. Mm. And they've been using the, the, the terms invasion. There's an invasion happening at the border. And right. that all these Mexican immigrants are invading us, that they're the invaders. And then I, and in my novel, I'm correcting that and saying, wait a minute, we're not the invaders. Mm -hmm. You know, we were invaded. So kind of trying to 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 reclaim our history and and correct it as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, so I was thinking too, like during your talk, you mentioned some alliances, right, with other groups like the Irish. And I think that's important to like also for just historically, right, to think about how certain groups also uh, were uh, marginalized and uh, then also became um, some of um, our allies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that was what what I found fascinating when mm -hmm. I was 
learning about this time period was discovering that there had been a group of immigrants, you know, European immigrants, Irish, Italians, um, Scottish, Poles, that mm-hmm. had allied themselves with Mexico to to help Mexico defend itself from, from the U.S. invasion. And I just found that completely fascinating, and I wanted to know why. Like, why would these men give up their lives for Mexico. Mm -hmm. And as I started to research the history of immigration um, in the 19th century of these immigrants, then it made sense to me, you know, because the Irish, the Italians, the Scots, the Poles, they, they were severely discriminated. And, you know, ethnic discrimination and religious discrimination because they were Mm -hmm. Catholic. And then I read about how much they suffered from nativism and how they felt rejected by U.S. society. And I felt a a strong kinship with with them because Mm -hmm. it's like, wait, this is what we Latino immigrants go through. So mm-hmm. now I understand why they would find more connection with Mexico than than they did in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lena, do you have a, a portion of your book that you could read to us? So I want to read the section where Riley and Jimena go out to look for plants. They retrieved her horse and her tools and rode out of the city, beyond the corn and sugarcane fields and into the shrublands. It's not like Irlanda here, she asked as they trotted along on their horses. The country stretched out before them, miles and miles of semi-arid land covered in plants he had never known existed until he found himself in this part of the world, so far from the misty rolling veils and hazel glens of Ireland. There was but little timber, mostly stunted shrubs, yucca and palmetto, and all manner of cacti, from impenetrable hedges up to 20 feet tall to tiny ones that scarcely peaked above the soil. Almost everything that grew in the sun-drenched northern frontier of Mexico was armed with vicious thorns and spikes. Even their lizards had thorns, had horns. I, there's nothing like the Green Isle to be sure, he said with a smile. It couldn't be more different. I imagine my country is not beautiful like Irlanda is to you, Jimena said as she halted her horse. Too many things that prick or sting you. <laughs> Riley laughed and said, well, tis true, lass. We have no snakes in Ireland, if you can believe it. Como es posible? We have St. Patrick to thank. He drove the venomous reptiles into the sea with nothing but his faith. He dismounted his horse and extended his arms to help her down. Although she was an excellent horsewoman and didn't need his help, Riley was glad she didn't reject him. Instead, she reached out for him. The few seconds when he held her aloft in the air, when their arms were intertwined and their faces came so close to touching, stirred something deep within him. He wished he could hold her, feel her body against his. Ever since she arrived in Monterrey, he'd been enjoying her company more and more, 
but it led to such guilt afterward, to sleepless nights where he reprimanded himself for the pleasure he'd felt. Jimena grabbed her walking stick and handed one to him. I bring one for you too. Faith will not save us from a bite. She looked at him from under her straw hat and grinned. He followed behind her, noticing how her colorful skirt and petticoat swayed gently as she scouted for plants. When she found one she needed, she knelt down and began to dig with the knife she always carried. This plant is good to stop blood, she said, as she tried to yank it out. I hope we won't eat too much of it. He pulled on the plant until it came out. She chopped off the roots and the leaves and put them in her basket. Ampudia only cares of his victory, she said, does not think of the soldiers to be killed. He will sacrifice many. Your country's freedom is worth the sacrifice, is it not? See, for freedom, but not for vanidad or hunger for glory. Joaquin, he gave his life to protect our home. Ampudia, he is not like your husband and never will be. But we have the numbers and Monterrey has been well fortified. Let us give our commander the benefit of the doubt. We all have our failings to be sure. I pray you are right, John Riley. <laughs> I love it. I love the um, the love story in the middle of, you know, all of this uh history that you are putting forth in the book and 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 even it made me think as you were reading it made me think about how many um you know uh marriages offspring could have come as a result of this you know uh allyship <laughs> with different groups and mexicans um so so yeah it, has anybody commented on that about your book no, I mean, I have heard people tell me that they have Irish blood, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of Mexicans are like, oh, I have Irish blood um, or red hair or, you know. Right. Yeah, no, I'm sure a lot of that came out, whether willingly or unwillingly. I mean, there were so many soldiers out there raping women, too, you know, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the U.S. soldiers, especially um when the U.S. occupied Mexico City for almost a year. Mm -hmm. Just think about how many offspring came, right, came out of that. Right. And like you said, willingly or unwillingly, yeah. for sure. For sure. Um, so, um, Reina, what are you working on right now? I mean, you're touring, I'm sure, uh, this wonderful book, reading, given readings everywhere. Uh, what's the next, uh, what's next for you after this? Well, um, yesterday I just signed a contract for a new book. Oh, great. Congratulations. Which, thanks. <laughs> I'm kind of scared, though. I'm like, oh, I should go celebrate it. Like, oh, no, now I'm terrified. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I sold a, a new book to my publisher based on a proposal for a collection of personal essays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm going to be working on from now until next year. Um, I've really gotten into essays recently. I used mm -hmm. to be I used to be scared of that format <laughs> because as a 
you know, when I went to get my BA and my MFA, it was all in fiction. Mm -hmm. And so my brain is more, was more wired for like writing scenes, writing dialogue, like mm-hmm. all of that. And and I love writing novels and even my memoirs read like novels because I love writing novels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the essay always, always intimidated me because it's a different format, it's a different structure, it's shorter and there's mm-hmm. more like reflection and there's right. more, um, I don't know. So it's, so... So then I, this past, I don't know, let's say this past five years, I've been asked to contribute essays to different anthologies. Mm-hmm. And so I started kind of like wetting my my toes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to write an essay, learning how to do it. And now it's like, oh my God, I really like it. So <laughs> I decided- What is this collection going to be about? Is there a specific yeah. theme? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I wanted to write another memoir. But I decided instead to do personal essays where mm-hmm. I still like write about my experiences, especially on this stage of my life. You know, I want to write more about the challenges of being a professional writer and being a mother and being a wife and being mm-hmm. like like all these responsibilities. And um, so I want to write about those things. And that's what I've kind of been exploring in my essays, like motherhood, marriage, uh, the writing life, the challenges of being, of having a career and Mm -hmm. wanting to have it all, right? Because I know sometimes we talk about with women, like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have kids if we want to have a career mm-hmm. or maybe we shouldn't get married if we want to be independent mm-hmm. and then it's like well what if we want to have it all of that you know mm-hmm. what if we want to have it all why right. not like why not <laughs> right and, and but I know it's challenging absolutely I mean men do it all the time why not us <laughs> right. uh, Reina muchas gracias por esta conversación no gracias a ti